More than 150 resident physicians went on strike for three days in May at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York. Spurred in part by the pandemic, it marked the first resident strike in the city in more than 30 years, when residents at a Bronx hospital went on strike for nine days in 1990. I'm Jay Carlisle Larson, and this is Just Healthcare Daily. It's Monday, July 24th. Thanks for joining us. Though physician strikes themselves remain quite rare, we are seeing an increase in unionizing activities among resident physicians in particular. Within the last year, residents have voted to unionize at systems like Stanford Healthcare in California and Mass General Brigham in Massachusetts. On today's episode, we take a closer look at some of the reasons why we're seeing this growing interest. Joining me is Rebecca Given, Associate Professor of Labor Studies at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. She also co-directs the university's Center for Work and Health. Professor Given told me that we shouldn't be too surprised to see more unionizing efforts among resident physicians. We have seen in recent months and years House staff, resident physicians coming to the brink and, uh, and in New York City hasn't quite come to the point of striking and they've won some quite strong contracts by coming to the brink of striking. So the nature of these negotiations is such that often you come to the brink and once in a while you actually uh, walk out on strike in order to win the contract that you need. So, and I think, um, you know, I think that residents in general are getting more confident in speaking up about the reality of their working conditions where uh, when you actually divide their salary by the number of hours they're working, sometimes it's under $15 an hour and they're facing all kinds of challenges. As you just mentioned, a lot of steps need to happen before you even get to a strike. Uh, But around the time that resident physicians at Elmhurst went on strike in Queens, their union authorized two other strikes at other hospitals in New York City. Now, those strikes were ultimately averted as they were able to reach a deal with those hospitals and their employer. But what's happening in New York isn't unique. So what do you think we'll see from other residents at other hospitals in different cities moving forward? I think what we're seeing really nationwide is residents starting to understand that there are certain protections they get from organizing collectively that there's they can't get any other way. And so in the past year or two, we've seen what I think everybody would agree are kind of high status, pretty well resourced uh, programs like at Stanford, at UPenn, at Mass General Brigham, where the residents are organizing and are unionizing. And instead of saying, you know, I'm set for my career, right? I've done this residency, I can write my own ticket. That's good. They're saying, you know, for the sake of our patients, for the sake of our mental health, for the sake of this profession being sustainable in the long term, we need to organize collectively and act rather than just sort of being grateful for the prestige and status and access that this uh, residency gives us. From your vantage point as someone who studies labor efforts, what are some of the contributing factors as to why we're seeing more resident physicians unionizing as it's not just pay and hours? 
Yeah, I think the um, I think there are a number of factors. One is the experience of working through the pandemic and feeling not respected by employers in many cases um, at Stanford. Um, I think the organizing drive was really spurred by what turned out to be a very distorted set of priorities for who had vaccine access um, when the initial initial doses came in and were only available to healthcare workers and they were given to sort of uh high up administrators who weren't facing patients at all while the while the interns and residents were not first in in line and and that you know raised concerns about what are the priorities here and who has the power here um i think in general there's also something generational where younger workers and this is you know you can see this in starbucks and you can see this in the wave of newsroom organizing younger workers are realizing that if they don't organize collectively they won't have a strong voice in the workplace and i think that that goes across um, numerous professions. I also think there's um, an assessment of the entire healthcare system and you can feel very powerless. So we can assume that most physicians went into that career because they wanted to provide high quality patient care and that's something that really drives them. And when they feel frustrated by um, any number of things from sort of the profit centered focus of the healthcare system to consolidation to the outsized role of insurance companies uh, to, you know, feeling uh, that there's understaffing or nurse understaffing. Uh, they realize that they can't address these things on their own. And so they have this example that, you know, they they can look to other places where uh, the house staff are organized and see what they might be able to do if if they get together. What would you say, perhaps, to a layperson or someone who might be opposed to physicians organizing who say, you know, I thought physicians were there to care for patients, and if they decide to go on strike, they aren't providing that care. Uh, What would you say to that argument? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, organizing doesn't equate to going on strike, and, and in most cases, organized workers never go on strike. Um, but what I think the thing to look to is is other examples. And so for nurses, for example, we have a huge amount of data that actually uh, in hospitals where uh, nurses are unionized, patient care is better, right? So staffing numbers are higher and actually uh, some of the mortality outcomes are actually improved. And we can understand why that is because if you have a safe, secure voice on the job and you're able to speak up on behalf of your patients rather than uh, rather than feel unprotected because you don't have for example, a collective bargaining agreement, it makes sense that you'd be able to provide higher quality uh, care. If there are contractual checks on staffing levels, then you would have a higher staffing level and provide better care. So there, um, I think it's, um, you know, if we look to nursing, we can see that um, unionized nurses provide higher quality patient care. We also, in general, across industries, you know, unionization lowers turnover. And I think, you know, we're really concerned about things like burnout in the physician workforce. And so trying to understand how uh, organizing collectively could help uh, with retention and with lowering burnout or with addressing mental health challenges or or all kinds of, kinds of other things that are very much aligned with a focus on patient care. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of evidence we already have from really, really adjacent examples. Now, only a small percentage of practicing physicians are unionized. I think it's something like 7%. But given what we've been talking about, you know, we're seeing this younger generation of residents looking to unionize or maybe being interested in unionizing. 
what will you be watching for in the coming years on this particular front? Do you think we'll see a larger wave overall, or do you think that this will remain concentrated among residents? I do think we'll see a, a, a new upsurge. I don't know if I would predict the magnitude, but you know, these these uh, residents who now have the experience of organizing will go on to careers in all kinds of workplaces and some of them will be interested perhaps in organizing there as well they will have gone through that experience it's very powerful for many it's, it's quite transformative what we also see is that um, the change in employment structure for physicians means that legally physicians can organize now where they couldn't in the past so the majority of physicians used to be you know legally self-employed and so for reasons of antitrust law they actually couldn't organize collectively um, and now we have a situation where the majority of physicians it's just ticked over to the majority in recent years are employees and employees have you know if they're in the private sector they have rights under the national labor relations act if they're in the public sector they're covered by state or federal law respectively um, and so they do have the ability to organize and we're also seeing with the change in industry structure with both consolidation and then the um, new and really growing role of uh, sort of staffing companies many of which are owned by private equity as the employer of physicians there are significant changes that will push doctors in the direction of organizing this is still the us where unionization is low it's not going to be the default anytime soon it's not going to be the you know it's not going to be easy it's not going to be the majority but i think we can expect you know more organizing and we're seeing it in, in very modest numbers but, but we are seeing it that was Rebecca Given, Associate Professor of Labor Studies at Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey. She joined me to talk about organizing among resident physicians in light of a recent strike at Elmhurst Hospital in Queens, New York. This is Just Healthcare Daily. I'm Jake Carlisle Larson. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or a review. It helps other listeners find the program. We'll be back with healthcare business and policy news updates tomorrow, as always, in 10 minutes or less. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news at gisthealthcare.com. You can also get these insights emailed directly to your inbox when you subscribe to our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. The Gist Healthcare Daily Podcast is an independent production of Gist Healthcare, a Kaufman Hall company.